Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, I'm Lois Reitzes, and this is City Lights. Thank you for listening. Today we're considering new chapters. Atlanta Center for Puppetry Arts has a new executive director, the only other since the organization was founded in 1978. There's another chapter in the ongoing series Scandal at Dad's Garage Comedy Theater. In their new virtual show, we'll hear how supervillains work from home. First, she brings poetry to dance and dance to poetry. Let's start with her name. Hope conveys optimism and belief. Hope Boykin lives up to her name and delivers that message through the beauty of her dance. She's with us now via Zoom. Hope Boykin, thank you for joining me and welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so, so much. It's just a pleasure to hear your voice. This year marked 20 years for you at the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And last November, you announced you would be retiring from the company. What were your thoughts when the pandemic forced the end of all public performances? Well, to be honest, like you said, announcing that I was planning to retire in November was really, I, I still don't know if it was the best thing for me because it, it, it made very public, it made my morning very public. And um, I, was, I was coaxed into sharing this information because we're in a sharing world now. Everyone knows what we have for breakfast, how much you know, milk we put in our coffee just because we share everything. And so, even though the outpouring was amazing, I was still going through this alone. And it was such a struggle that I, was, I would count, oh, I didn't perform that well that evening. Oh, I didn't get a chance to do that. I, I'll have another opportunity the next time. You know? And so there was always, not always, but a lot I was thinking, how will I be better? Because I want this last thing, this last final, this, the, this, this, this ending to be at its top. 
and I was honored um, with a performance um, at City Center here in New York, and that was wonderful, and then we had a reception afterwards, and that felt so wonderful, and I was like, okay, so now we've made it past City Center, we can do it, we can get to May. And I remember I'd even asked if I could dance something that wasn't on the original schedule and that had been granted. And I was so very excited to dance A Case of You with Clifton Brown, that final performance. And, you know, so many little things. People were coming in. People had called and told me they had bought their tickets already to see this final performance. And wow, what a smack in the face. Now, and I, and I, and I say that only because as a woman of faith, I know that there are things that I cannot see in my future. I know that there are so many opportunities awaiting me, but that was not my plan. And when sometimes you just want your plan to work, it doesn't matter what's ahead of you or what could be look, you could be looking forward to without even knowing it. You know, that light at the end of the tunnel, the gold at the end of the rainbow, whatever cliche you want to use, it didn't matter because it wasn't what I wanted. But I will say, and I've said this before, that I thought I was going to have my last dance on May 10th, but I continue to have my last dance. I was able to be a part of, you know, this um, committee, dancer content creating committee that that Matthew Rushing uh, built as we were reaching out to our audiences as Ailey started to build a platform called Ailey All Access. I was able to uh, host Instagram live conversations with with my coworkers, we were, I was able to find out more about them. We were able to work from home virtually. I was um, one of the catalysts uh, behind Robert Battle's new uh, creation. Sarah Daly Perdomo and I uh, reached out to Robert, got on a, a, a conference call with him and said, you know, let's talk about how you can make this, this new commission really work, creating from home. And we would rehearse with him on, on Sundays, you know, for an hour, and then we'd write down everything. We would teach the choreography to all the dancers. I got to work side by side with this composer who was making original music. Yet again, I was creating a new platform for what I was not really sure I was capable of um, for a new work that would also be a last dance. And so it just, it just didn't end. I mean, this, this past Sunday, um, uh, there was a, well, actually on Friday, there was an emergency Zoom meeting called, and it was not just members of the company and Robert Battle and Matthew Rushing and Masazumi Chaya was on the call and former company members were on the call and it was really a Zoom party for the three of us that were retiring. And it was, I, it was the ugly, I, I gave the ugliest cry you could ever <laughs> imagine. And they even had a game where they said, who's the one who's going to encourage you, you know, when you just walk in the door and then everyone puts up a sign that says hope. And then they say, who's going to make sure that you're standing on your leg after class? And they put up a sign and say, Akua, you know, and who, and it was just, it was outrageous. And you just, I just cried for over an hour because there was this outpouring of love. And that too was like a last dance. And my official retirement date is, come and gone, I'm, I still get to talk about the beauty of Ailey. So even now I'm having a last dance. So I think this is just going to keep going. Oh, that is fantastic. In one of our earlier conversations, I marveled at your eloquence. In fact, Hope, the first interview we had required not one edit. 
It was seamless. And when we finished, I thought, wait, that should have been live. Do you know how rare that is? And when I mentioned it to you, your modest response was, I'm very heady when it comes to words. I I, am. I, I like to write. Now, how has that talent informed your dance? Well, it's so interesting that you say it because there is a situation, like a personal situation that you know, uh, forced me into this uproar and there was no one to vent to that evening. And I just took out my phone and I started typing and, you know, using my thumbs to get my point across. And maybe a few weeks later, I was telling a friend, oh, you know, I was so angry and I just wrote this. And then they said, well, have you thought about dancing to that? And I was like, no, I just won't do it. But then I, I realized that that is something that I've always done. I've always needed to write down uh, a feeling. I've needed to express my emotions through words. I needed, I've needed to, um, you know, under my bed, there's one of those sweater, long sweater boxes full of journals and full of notebooks that I really didn't know I was collecting at the time. I knew I liked to have them. Whenever we traveled to various countries, I can tell you which notebook and which, which bounded book blank pages are from each country. But I didn't realize that I actually wrote in the same cadence, that I move in a similar cadence, that I have been writing in a style for all these years until that outrage moment. And when I had that, and I finally started to reread those words, I realized that those words weren't just for me. And then there was another experience, one that was not outrage, but full of love and full of um, passion and and I started to write about those things too and so I I ended up putting them in a in a book that I, that's called Moments and it's a self-published book I like to say it's uh, um, out of my pocket productions because uh, it costs forty three dollars to print each book and um, I sold them for forty five so I made a huge whopping two dollars for each book um, wonderful photographer Steve Vaccarello allowed me to use images we'd had in one big photo shoot throughout this book. And that was sort of the beginning of me acknowledging that writing is something that I love, love to do. And then as I started to teach and started to work with young people, I am now artist in residence at USC. I work with students at the Ailey BFA Fordham. Um, I am the artistic lead for the Kennedy Center Dance Lab and we're planning our virtual uh, summer program now, everything includes writing because even though movement is abstract, you have to find a way to bring it to uh, a real context. And because we can't be together, I wanted the context to be with words. As a matter of fact, I recall your saying, movement is just movement for the sake of movement until it is given context. How do you bring context to something that is essentially abstract? Well, um, one of my ballet teachers, uh, actually she's just a, a life teacher in general, her name is Gabriella Darvash, said there is no movement for love outside of American Sign Language or various uh, forms of sign language, you know, that people use when they don't have the ability to speak. There is no direct motion for love. 
but you can do you, a reach in a loving way, just as you can do that same reach in a way that displays hatred, that displays, displays loathing and disgust. It's all in how you reach to the person. I remember the piece that the company um, performed, Minus 16 by Ohad Naharin, and there's a portion where you go out into the audience and you reach for a person to come up on stage with you, but part of our directive as dancers is not to speak. And so it's how you reach your hand. And immediately it's your hand, it's your eyes, it's your focus, it's the softness in your spirit that allows someone to feel safe enough to put their hand in your hand. And so when you don't have those ideals, when it's not clothed in a, a beautiful costume or on a stage with lights, sometimes words can dictate movement. When you prepared to dance the lead in Matthew Rushing's choreography for Odetta, I know you immersed yourself in Odetta's music and work. Do you think people realize how much your approach to dancing a role is similar to how a good actor prepares for stage or film? I don't, you know, it's, it's a wonderful question, and I don't think people realize how exactly the same it is. You know, because listening to Odetta's mm's and her ahs and her, before she speaks, the, before the word comes out, all of that has to be translated in movement. You know, that we are given, our bodies are given ways in which to display emotion. Um, I know I feel this this loss. I feel a longing knowing that I won't be on the stage again with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. But I also feel this um, uplift that I can continue to share and continue to teach. And all of those things are part of how you move and how you prepare. And so as this soloist before the curtain comes up, I know every, 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 before Odetta's voice would come out. The same thing with Mr. Ailey and Night Creature. You know, maybe it wasn't an actual voice, but I knew exactly what Duke Ellington's do ba doom boom There was a do ba doom boom And so you're living, like you're living this breath. And so when I would teach that to the dancers in the company, I would say, no, it's not just seven and eight, it's and seven and eight. Or when dancers are learning, rock of my soul in the bosom of Abraham, rock of my soul in the bosom of Abraham, I teach them that, but I also teach them, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, oh, 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 oh my Lord, because we can dance on both of those things. And so there's so much beauty in the music, there's so much beauty in the text, there's so much beauty that's unspoken, but that, that resonates as lyric as um, word to to inspire the movement. I hope that oh. makes sense, what I'm saying. Oh, it makes gorgeous sense. The conversation <laughs> we had about your choreographic work, our evolution or revolution, left this powerful, lasting impression. I've listened back and referred to it countless times now. And this is the piece you were inspired to create while listening to Dr. King's words, wearing headphones alone during a visit to 
the National Center for Civil and Human Rights here in Atlanta. Have Dr. King's writings and speeches taken on different meaning for you during our national reckoning now with racial injustice? Uh, so much, so very much, so much so that it's amazing to me when you read his letters from the Birmingham jail or you think about how how scholarly he was. I, I, I say this to young people when I share about his work. I said, remember there was no YouTube um, and and there was there was nothing. No one was necessarily documenting it and then sharing a link. So when he would go from city to city and if he wanted to reference something he said before, he was able to do that. And he's bringing in and honing all of this information so that when he does, when he did present his words, he presented them flawlessly. He presented them with passion, but he also presented them in a way that was so focused and unadulterated that you didn't have a choice but to accept the words. Well, if we would simply listen to what he said, we would realize that we, although we have had progress, we still need the progress to be now. He would say, don't make us wait, give it to us now. And then we see progress as our now, but we are still pushing, we are still running, we are still walking toward a, a, a finish line where we think we can see the ending, we think we're headed toward that piece of tape that we can break through and then it's moved further back. Mm -hmm. There's someone that's reminding us through a senseless act of hatred, someone who is, uh, cares less about a life of, a, of, an, of an innocent black man versus their own costume. And I'm going to say costume because sometimes we put on uniforms and we think we must become something that we are, are, are longing to be. And then we take those, those frustrations and anger and jealousy out on the people that we can control. I often say the, the, the one thing, in my opinion, that's more addictive than sugar is power, but it's how we use our power. And Dr. King used his power and his words and his message um, very much like Od Odetta used her voice and her words and her message, just like Mr. Ailey built an organization in, you know, in the midst of a civil rights movement that's been 60 years and we're lasting and thriving today, even through a pandemic, because the intent, the why, the meaning, the focus was clear. And if we just go back and we listen to what Dr. King says, he has written a blueprint of how we move forward. Yes, it's going to be different. We, we, it's going to be different because we're living in different times, but we can use him as an example to continue to move this progress that is constantly progressing, that progress won't stop progressing. We, will, we are going to have to continue this thing until it gets to a place where we're satisfied, but I don't think that that's the point. I think the point is to keep progressing. This brings us to We Dance, which can be viewed online. You wrote the poetry and narrate the video. Three times you repeat, our voices ring loudly through our bodies. We are together, coming together. When we stand together, move together in this moment, 
We are pointing toward our ways to express and show truth and love. When patience slows and circumstances, hatred, try to pull us down, confusion creeps in, trying to mute our voices without knowing who we really are. But we are more than just what they think they see. So here it is, how we need to and must show you through our own eyes. We are witnesses living in it and through it, and we were born from this. Our heritage, our past is built on a perspective some have skewed or tried to skew. But our train, this train, this journey forward will not slow or stop. Our mission is to push, to learn, to lift, to teach, to encourage, to build, to carry, to support, to bridge, and to raise our communities. You growing your hearts and feeding your souls. Our hearts hurt now, yes, we are exhausted. Our hearts are tired now, weary and worn, but through it all, through it then more than 60 years ago and through it now we persevere, always moving, loving, creating, sharing, even with our heavy hearts. This is hard for you and all of us, but our path is set and we are not holding back. We are not giving in. We will continue to share. Our voices ring loudly through our body's language. Our voices ring loudly through our body's language. Our voices ring loudly through our body's language. And when our hearts break, we get up. When our hearts break, we stand up. And when our hearts break, we dance. We dance. We dance. Please tell us how this piece came about. Well, this is so interesting. Matthew uh, Rushing and I were really um, at a loss. We were so upset one evening. Uh, we were on the phone trying to realize that, that we could not be comforted. We didn't have someone to reach out to. We were now the people. We were now the adults in the room who needed to be the ones who solved the problems, who provided answers and resources for young people who didn't quite understand how to accept this very public viewing of hatred. But we, we realized that we needed something else. But what, but what was it that we were going to use? And he started talking and he started saying some things and I just moved over from my sofa to this area work office I've, you know, started and, and, I, and it started with, it, the, the first word that, that it really started with, I took out. But it started with enough. We are together. And I decided to take enough out because I didn't want it to begin with disgust. I wanted it to begin with a statement, we are together, coming together. And when, when people hear that in my, in my head, when I listen to it, there was a way that, that this would be a nurturing balm. When I tend to write, Matthew says, he's given me a huge compliment, and he says that I write like a psalm. I have no issues telling you what my, what my problems are. But then I know at the end, that there will be a resolution because that's what faith allows you to do, walk without seeing. And so this was a balm to me. And at the end of it, knowing that our voices will continue to move, we will continue to fight, we will not slow or stop, we will not hop off in 
fear or regret. We were, we're going to keep pressing no matter what. That was, that was the sign that, that we had something we wanted to create. And immediately he said, Hope, can you record it for me? And I said, sure, I'll do a voice memo. I found some music because, you know, I, I make videos and, and things all the time. And before I knew it, he sent it around to the entire company. He said, this I want us to dance to. This seems like a statement for us, a way that I'm feeling. I feel like I can move to this. I would like to offer that to whomever wants to be a part of this project. And I didn't even have a chance to take it back. I didn't even have a chance to say, no, let me edit. Matthew had already made this decision. And then the other thing that he put his very <laughs> forceful but loving hand down was, he said, Hope, I want you to read it on camera. He said, I don't want them to just hear you saying it. I want them to see you saying it. And I tried to talk him out of that, and there was no talking him out of that. Ultimately, it was the best thing, the best way to be obedient to a person who is now associate artistic director of the organization because about two or three days later, I got in a Facebook message from a young girl who told me that she wanted to move to it. And her mother recorded her dancing to the entire piece. And I said, oh, this is why. These are the reasons why we do what we do. And someone else, a friend of mine, sent me something and the, and the little girl called it Hope's, no, a protest dance for Hope Boykin. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, all of, all of this frustration I was feeling, all of the, the things I was like, I need someone for me to lean my shoulder on. I need some support. No, my job is to open paths, just like Judith Jamison opened a path for me, like Pearl Primus opened a path for me, like Catherine Dunham opened a path for me, like Renee Robinson opened a path for me. That is my job for these young people so that they have a place to dance, so that their bodies and their voices will ring loudly. I always call my, my dancing my movement language, and that's what this is using our voices, using our bodies, and using our words to convey the soundtrack to this new life that we're leading. When you were here in Atlanta talking about listening to recordings of Dr. King's speeches, you said that perhaps the greatest lesson you took away was his message to be the best wherever you are. Hope boy, can you honor his memory. Oh, thank you. Oh my goodness. I so wish you the best in this new chapter of your life, and I do hope we will speak and see each other again. Yes, please. Dancer and choreographer Hope Boykin. She just retired after 20 years with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. You can view full performances streaming free on the Ailey All Access channel. This is City Lights on 90.1 WABE Atlanta.
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Since its founding in 1978, the Center for Puppetry Arts has had one executive director. Until now, Beth Shavo has been named the new executive director, effective July 1st. She's with us now via Zoom. Beth, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you. It's so nice to be back. Nice to talk to you again. And congratulations. Thank you. You have served as interim managing director since January when Vincent Anthony retired. Mm -hmm. And you faced unique challenges when the center closed, along with much of the world, due to the pandemic. How did the initiation period of recent months help prepare you for the permanent position? Well, first of all, um, I'm very fortunate to have a great team of passionate leaders. So um, we really work well together as a team and needed to work well together as a team as we hunkered down and really went into crisis mode. And um, we, I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish during that time. Um, for me personally, um, the preparation I receive for where I sit today is, is really an enormous passion for the center um, and its people. And um, I was very excited to learn that um, I was going to be offered the role because for me, I wanted to see this through. And I am so optimistic about the future of the center because we really have gone through what for many arts organizations is gonna be the toughest time they'll ever face. Um, and I'm very fortunate to, um, to have a team that's gonna take us to you know, an optimistic future for the center. We're really excited about what that looks like. Now, you will direct an organization of international renown Founder Vince Anthony is himself a puppeteer. Mm -hmm. What was your connection to this special institution? For me, I've always been a, a lover of the arts and I've been very, very actively involved with arts organizations, particularly arts education organization um, in the city um, through board membership and leadership. Um, on a personal note, um, my brother was um, a puppeteer throughout his childhood and performed quite a bit with, um, we were fortunate to have a church group that had a very active puppeteering 
program and and he spent a number of years making puppets as well as performing so i've always lived vicariously through um my family that's filled with artists my mother's an artist and my brother as well so when i walk through the doors of the center and when i really kind of experience what um the children are experiencing when they see when they watch the shows um, it actually really touches me on a very personal level, and, and I'm excited to bring um, that passion to the center. Mm. And you bring a wealth of experience in the corporate world, I imagine a significant, a significant amount of your time may be spent on fundraising, too. That's right, particularly now. And the dialogue around fundraising now is very different for all of us. And we want to make sure that those donors um, that we are talking to appreciate that this, this isn't just a Band-Aid for the center. This is going to be, um, these are donations that will that propel us into the future. And so the, the conversations around um, I'm giving has, you know, obviously increased dramatically. But then again, just the entire business architecture of the center has been revisited just to make sure we're being as efficient as we can um, during this time when our revenue is down. So you bring that skill set. Let's talk about your upcoming summer season. You've announced that the center will be reopening the Worlds of Puppetry Museum galleries on July 10th. How did you arrive at the decision to reopen? Yeah, for us, we've been we've been anxious, of course, to open up our museum um, as soon as it was safe for both our employees as well as as well as guests. We are going to have a, a two-day members-only uh, viewing on the, the the eighth and the ninth as well, but to the general public on the tenth. It was really just a combination of all the regulatory um, information we received about reopening the city um, and through a lot of conversations with other arts organizations as well. I mean, I think we all kind of keep each other um, informed of what some of our plans are um, so that there's a consistency there. And ultimately, we feel good that we've developed a plan that will keep our employees and our patrons safe once we open. And what will you do to ensure the safety of your patrons? Yeah, so a lot of little details, as you know, with any business that's reopening, there's a lot in details. But generally, the most important thing that we're doing is we are going to have timed ticketing and online purchase of tickets. So the walk-up ticket purchase will be um you know, will be very minimal pushes to have online ticketing and for a specific time period. And that will allow the us to be able to control the number of people in the museum at one time. And then also enhance the experience for those that are in the museum to have it a lower number of folks and they can spend more time with the artifacts that are in the museum while they're there. So that's that's one thing. And then secondly, really just the, the overall like six feet of separation and cleaning and sanitizing schedules that are much more enhanced. And then just, just crowd movement, crowd control movement as people come into both the center and then into the museum. So we'll be very focused on that. Will people be required to wear masks? We are going to require people to wear masks and we are going to have them available for a very small price in case someone 
you know, inevitably forgets one, which, which we are apt to do, but we will be requiring those. And that's really for everyone's safety and for everyone to feel um, as little stress as possible when they're in the center. Now, I've read that your digital offerings will continue in the summer season, opening with Jack and the Beanstalk, a virtual performance. What can you tell us about this production? Oh, it's a wonderful production from um, an artist, a puppeteer, David Stevens. Um, We were very fortunate to be able to bring David in, not only for Jack and the Beanstalk, but for six shows, each show running um, two weeks. So we have him for the summer. And for those fans of his work, and he has a, a very large following, they understand that he's a master puppeteer for one and the storytelling um, that he's created and puppets that he creates are super engaging for children. And so we anticipate that um, even though it won't be live and in person, his skill will come through in the, in the digital platform and, and people will enjoy the work. So we're really excited about him being with us. Is it free admission online? It is not going to be free. As you, as you may recall, we had, we had free programming throughout the early parts of the pandemic, and we still have our library of free videos that are available on Facebook. And so everything that we showed, everything that we showed free on Facebook still lives there for people to go back and re-enjoy. But for now, we're moving more to a paid um, content model. And um, the pricing is, is, is still, we feel, um, it's, it's lower than pricing for when you come to visit in person. And we feel as if it's still very affordable for people to, um, to participate in. And, and also just to note that there is an interactive component to his presentations as well. So after the performance, he will be uh, available for question and answer, and he'll be able to walk through different aspects of his performance. So it's a little bit different than just turning on your YouTube or or other form of entertainment. So we like the fact that we have an interactive component to our offering as well. And your Create a Puppet Workshop is another interactive experience. What can participants expect to learn and create in that workshop? We have tried to recreate as much of the magical experience that kids have when they are participating at the center. Our creative puppet workshops are extremely popular with children and families because they have a combination of not only making a a puppet and using their hands to create something that they can take home with them, but then also to learn more about the topic for which they're making the puppet as well. That typically ties into the performance that they've just seen. The online version of that will be very similar. You won't have the crowd of other children around you to enjoy that energy, but you will be online in a Zoom meeting where you can enjoy that energy with those online, and you will be able to create that puppet. And and in doing so, or to do so, you will receive a PDF that you'll be able to download and print and cut out and, and into its pieces. And then you will be walked through how to make that puppet in the same manner that you would if you were on campus. I noticed a new offering from your digital learning department, 
Please tell us about stories of color, music, song, and stories from the African diaspora. Yeah, this is a very popular program um, that we've been doing for school groups for a while. And with, with current events and the reinvigoration of Black Lives Matter, we wanted to make sure that that was available um, last week, we showed Stories of Color as well as Ruth and the Green Book, two very popular titles of ours that speak to an audience that uh, we wanted to engage with last week. And so we'll continue to have Stories of Color available and we'll continue to offer both of those over the summer and, and in hopes that people can engage with that and, and have a positive experience through puppetry. Beth Shavo is the new executive director of the Center for Puppetry Arts. In a moment, a scandal at Dad's Garage Comedy Theater. This is City Lights on WABE Atlanta. Even the world's deadliest virus cannot stop this scandal. The annual improvised soap opera at Dad's Garage is back, this time as scandal League of Supervillains Work From Home. Two members of the cast from Dads are with us now. Jamila Porter and Matt Horgan. Thanks for joining us via Zoom, of course. Well, thank you for having us. We're very happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much. Back in February, which was centuries ago, I think, we spoke with improv artists Raymond Carr and Megan Leahy about the scandal on Felt Street show. Where does this version of scandal take place? Well, uh, this version, you know, we usually uh, kind of the, the tradition with Scandal is, especially when we were over in our 280 Elizabeth Street location, let's say we were, you know, the season was in a police station, the kind of the traditional tagline was uh, in little five points, there is a little police station and that little police station is filled with Scandal. And we would all yell that. Uh, so now that we're in the old Fourth Ward, we, we've tended to keep that tradition alive. So we say that here in the old fourth ward, there's a little league of supervillains and that little league is filled with dot, dot, dot scandal. So this is supposedly a C-level league of supervillains that has set up shop in our neighborhood, the old fourth ward. C-level. <laughs> Do you mean like grade C or the geographic? Oh, grade C. Definitely not the varsity. <laughs> okay. What's the premise of the show? So it's it's a it's a league of supervillains that uh, has big ambitions, but uh, they're maybe a little light on actual powers or talents or even intellects. But they're trying their best, and uh, they've set up shop and they, and they're trying to get their evil plans for world domination and maximum profit off the ground. But uh, they can't get out of their own way. On June fifth, Scandal League of Supervillains (WFH), which is working from home had its live premiere on Twitch. Please tell us how the performance went. Well, I, I think we had a we had a blast, Jamila. Would you agree? Yes. It was uh, it was uh, unique because it, it's the first time Scandal has ever been broadcast that way. 
but it was it was so much fun. And I think the premise of all the supervillains working from home is, is so ridiculous that it was hilarious. <laughs> what is it like performing live in front of a virtual audience? It is very different, just logistically, the ability to move and, and around and stay in the frame of the camera is something that that is at least in my mind, uh, a constant thought in the back of my head. It, because we have a live audience, but we can't see or hear them. So we've been laughing and I think Matt's been great in letting us take a little, a few liberties and giggling over across the line so that uh, we all have some feedback about how the comedy is going. So I think that it's it's just such a unique platform for improv and for us to interact with each other as improvisers and also to try to have a sense of what we might be doing that's enjoyable for the audience. So it's, it's very different. Yeah, I would have to say, how did you describe it as a unique experience? Challenging, I would think as well, with lag, technical issues. How do you finesse that? I mean, I know improv artists are brilliant with doing it on the spot, the yes and, and whatever it takes. But have you talked about backup procedures? Well, yeah, to some extent, definitely improv is kind of a show must go on (laughs) type of arrangement. And uh, additionally, because we are positioning the show as these are people working from home via Zoom, just like we're doing the show, we kind of understood that any technical issues we run into are easily justified as just being what's happening in the real world. But thankfully, improv does give you the ability to react in the moment and comment to kind of make the audience aware, wink, wink, nod, nod. (laughs) We know (laughs) that maybe the, the video quality or the audio quality isn't going great right now. So perfect example in our Friday premiere, uh, our own Kevin Galise, former artistic director, was in the show, but he and his wife Amber were on vacation at an Airbnb in Alabama with terrible Wi-Fi. Uh, (laughs) And so all of Kevin's interactions were, the first couple were very frustrating because we couldn't hear him very well, we couldn't see him very well, but that turned into a running joke in the show where every time this character wanted to say something, it just got lost and his frustration grew and grew. So being able to use our difficulties or our technical issues and try and turn those into some of the comedy in the show is is a great advantage <laughs> that we have. <laughs> oh, that's great. Jamila, your character has a terrific name. Your character is Big Pharma. What can you tell us about your role? Well, Big Pharma is a former MMA fighter and a licensed pharmacist. And, <laughs> and it's a logical she, combination. <laughs> you know, it, those fit together so well. Champion whose reign was finally ended when she punched an opponent so hard, she broke every bone in her body. <laughs> now she's the muscle for the league <laughs> and also putting her pharmacy degree to good use. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. After I got injured out of the UFC, I had to fall back on a real career and use the UGA pharmacy degree I had long abandoned in my basement. But now I have my dream job, 
being muscle for the league. And I get to use my pharmacy and my chemistry skills too. They're like, yeah. Working in an office environment is more painful than an R bar hold. But I'm leaning into my passions, filling scripts and crushing skulls. (laughs) In fact, when thinking about what character might I want to play, I tried to think of two of the most ridiculous things that I could put together. And that's what I came up with. So yeah, so Big Pharma is a skilled fighter and also a skilled chemist and pharmacist who uses those powers in not the most positive way, but uh, as Matt noted, it's a scrappy group of supervillains, so it can only be so bad. It it most likely will just go wrong. (laughs) Now, you are bringing some extraordinary experience beyond improv to this role. How does your background in public health inform your approach to this character? Well, I have to be honest and say that public health, my work in public health is so distinctly different than what Big Pharma is doing. So, uh, but I will say that it informs how I think about Big Pharma, how I think about her portrayal of say, her role as a pharmacist. So she would never perpetuate the opioid misuse and abuse epidemic, as an example. But would she prescribe vitamin D without a prescription? Probably. (laughs) Um, So so I think that just being sort of thoughtful about the aspects and just acknowledging that big pharma as an industry is, you know, responsible for a lot of painful experiences for people you know, across the nation and, and worldwide. So how to play that in a more offbeat comic way is uh, something that I do think about. And she's a villain, she's a supervillain, but she's not a despicable person. So I think uh, just being more lighthearted with it and but also acknowledging um, some of those aspects of the pharmaceutical industry that might uh, be embodied by this character and then completely making fun of it by making fun of that character and making that character fail a lot in ways that Big Pharma, we would like to fail sometimes. Yeah, like price gouging or what do they call it? Price fixing? Yes. Price fixing. With the the, uh, EpiPens and the overpricing of those, yes. Talk about scandal. Right, right. (laughs) In past scandal performances, the narrative is scripted, but during each show, a new character enters the scene that the other performers are unaware of. And of course, that's what makes it all the more exciting as improv. How do you pull this off virtually? Well, you know, something like that, like a surprise guest, uh, that that's a a long tradition that we have at Dad's uh, bringing in either past friends or, or maybe some celeb guests that we have. For something like this, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's fun to keep things secret from the cast and let them kind of experience that joy and surprise uh, when that guest suddenly steps into the show. And, uh, you know, Lois, I, I do have some plans around this, but I also have a cast member here on this interview with me. <laughs> So I don't want to let the cat out of the bag so much, but you know, there are ways to do it. Like for, for one of our, um, let's say one of our traditional shows at dad's, like we, we would bring say a a good old friend of ours, like Tim Stoltenberg into town. 
uh, as the director of Scandal, I would secretly arrange to bring Tim into town. I would hide him somewhere in a safe house where, where none of the other performers <laughs> might see him. We'll smuggle him into the back of the theater in a trench coat and a dark hat and hide him in a closet, let all the cast go out on stage. And then once the show started, we bring him out, get him dressed real quick. And then like the second or third scene in the show, I suddenly bring out this unexpected character. And maybe all of the audience doesn't know who he is, but all of the audience sees our cast immediately react with surprise and joy that this person has stepped onto the, sh uh, onto the stage. And it definitely adds a, 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 a huge amount of excitement and energy to the show. So we, we always love doing that. Oh, that's great. And your secret is safe with me. And I know, Jamila, you are understanding of why Matt cannot pull back this curtain. Absolutely. Can you tell <laughs> us about some of the problems the villains face in this show? Oh, I know at least one thing is that uh, the, the league chair... Kevin Galise as a character named Metal Face Zoom, originally named Metal Face Doom, but he figured since we were doing everything on Zoom, why not change the name? He's the league chair. Uh, in week one, he's already had his authority usurped by Lawyer Saurus Rex, a dinosaur who is also a lawyer. Oh, I love the, <laughs> the profession bashing in this show. Oh, he's a good lawyer. <laughs> yeah, he's excellent. <laughs> So let, but are, is he extinct? Oh, no, he's, he's very much alive. <laughs> we, we haven't really gotten into how, he, uh, how he's here. Uh, basically, his, his little kind of character blurb says something like, if you think, you know, surviving apocalyptic meteor strike is difficult, try passing the bar with these tiny useless arms. So <laughs> one of the joys about Scandal and these kind of silly characters is we don't have to worry. We can make something absolutely silly. We don't have to worry too hard about, does this actually make sense? <laughs> Matt Horgan is the director of Scandal, League of Supervillains Work From Home. We heard him with actor Jamila Porter, who plays the role of Big Pharma in the show at Dad's Garage. Their next virtual performance is tomorrow. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. to hear about online Juneteenth celebrations from the Atlanta History Center to historic Oakland Cemetery. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer. And I'm Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also like us on Facebook at WABE City Lights. Do subscribe to our new podcast on just about any app. Thanks for listening to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.